Well, Revelation 4. And notice it starts out, after these things. And then at the very end of that verse, um, I come here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Now, why do I point that out? Because that is a Greek word, metatauta. And that word metatauta is referring to things that are yet to come. They have not happened yet. And so it's referring to a dispensation of time. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 19, flip over there if you would, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. He said, write these things which you have seen, the vision of Christ, the things which are the state of the church, chapter 2 and 3 presently, and then the things which will take place after this metatauta, the end times event. So really the book of Revelation is broken down into Revelation chapter 1, the, the vision of Christ. Then the things which are, which is chapter 2 and 3, the church. And then after that, starting chapter 4 to to the end of Revelation, chapter 22, would be the things that are yet coming in the future, the the prophecy, uh, if you would. And so we see that uh, book of Revelation breaking down into that. And we just went through chapter 2 and 3, the church. Now he says, I've dealt with the church. Now I I need to talk about how I'm going to deal with the rest of the world. So, you know, when we went through the seven churches, I I said there's a lot of different ways to break this down into dispensations of times, of the types of churches, whatever. I just said, let's take it personally. Let's just each of us say, Lord, what are you speaking to me uh, on the thing of the church of Ephesus? Where have I lost my first love? I'm, I'm ready. Cut me. Pierce me. Use your two-edged sword. And just each one of them, and I'll tell you, the Lord does not disappoint. I really did sense just a washing, a healing as I, I went through that and just sort of on a regular basis just said, Lord, here I am just before you. Do what you must do. Um, and it's, it's been a, just an amazing, refreshing time in my soul. And uh, talking to many of you, I, I know you've had the same experience. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin. Now, I just want to start there, stop there just for a second. So we're going to start talking in chapter 4 through 22, and it's talking about the judgment of God. And before it begins, what does he say here in Peter? It's going to begin first at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So before he goes to those who are unbelieving, disobedient, hypocrites, whoever, he says, I'm going to first go to the church. And we see Jesus teaching where many will come in that day. Lord, Lord, you're not opening heaven unto me. You know, I prophesied, I I did miracles, I cast out demons. And and he says, you did not do my will. So he first going to come to the church who's claiming to be followers of Christ and, and says, you are or you aren't. Uh, it, it speaks of how there's disillusioned people. They're like drunkards who believe they'll be counted along with the sober. You know, maybe you've seen those video clips where the guy's uh, officer says, get out of the car and says, would you walk on the white line? Would you put your finger to your nose? And, and the guy fully believed he walked straight as an arrow. He was touching his nose. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, he fell down three times. He couldn't even touch his face. And, and he's just looking at the cop there. I told you I wasn't drunk, you know, and just so drunk. He couldn't understand how drunk he was. 
And there's people that have believed their own press. They believe their own lies. They have believed, they've created in their mind, you know, I go to church and I treat the Bible like this and I believe in God like this and I obey like this and I, they, they, they just have an excuse for everything. They know they're not walking a simple, obedient Christian life, but they have an excuse why they're the exception to every rule. And that not only are they approved by God, they're the top on his list, you know. They're the number one best Christian they know. And it's God's aim to first come and, and judge the church. Now, what does he do always? He, he sends the prophecy saying, if this is you, I love you. Snap out of it. Let me heal you. Let me cleanse you. Let me strengthen you. And this is what he's done to each of the churches. He came with a heavy word to the church of Ephesus. I, I'm getting ready to take the lamb stack away. I'm getting ready to end that church. But... If you'll repent, if you go back and be, repeat the first works and remember where you've come from and get the passion of love there again, yes, you know. He says, if you'll be zealous and repent, even though right now I want to vomit you out of my mouth, he says to the church of Laodicea, and you are completely naked, but you think you're clothed in the most royal robes in existence. You're naked, but you can't see it. You think you're looking at the most beautiful thing in the world. You're completely blind. You're not seeing anything. But yet in your deception, you don't see how blind you are. And, and what does he come back? I love you. Repent. I'm knocking at the door. Open the door. Let me come in. Man, we'll have this relationship. And so he's doing everything he can to judge the church and, and, and with the hopes the church would repent. Now, why do I say this? Because guys, we are in the last days. I've been preparing for the prophecy update and it's like, if we make it through tonight's sermon without being raptured, I'm gonna be surprised. I mean, the Lord's coming is so, so soon. And he constantly says there's going to be an apostasia, a falling away of quote-unquote believers. That it's a remnant that is truly obeying him and following him in truth. And, and this is what we, we spent time in, telling the church. And, and hopefully you didn't just listen and go, yep, I, I check, 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 check. Oh, man. I'm, I'm right on everything. No conviction from any of the seven churches. Um, good to go. Chapter four, let's do it. Uh, you know, I hope that wasn't our experience. I hope that one of the churches somewhere, the Holy Spirit got through our crusty, hard hearts, if that's the way we were, and we felt the two-edged sword pierce in and just said, ah, oh, Lord, it is me. It is me, Lord. I'm not walking in obedience, purity, love, whatever it is. And, and help me, Lord, heal me. And, and so I can make it through uh, these treacherous, perilous times uh, of the last days. But either way, now we, we've left um, the time of the church. Judgment came to the house of God. But now it's going to the rest of the world. And, and if the church, he says... <laughs> In in First Peter four, if the church barely makes it through the judgment, where will the unbelieving world uh, fall in, in in such a judgment? And uh, again, um, judging things justly does not make God mean. It actually makes Him loving. Do we understand that? For for example. A guy rapes and murders your sister. And it takes a couple of years, they finally catch the guy. And it goes to court. And in court, they begin to make the case of his guilt and innocence. And the judge just says, stop just a minute. I want you all to know that I'm a judge just of love. That's all there is about me. There's no other angle, no other characteristic, love. 
And since I'm only a God of love, sir, whether you're raped, murdered, whatever you did, being, only having one characteristics of love, I just forgive you, be free, go walk the streets of San Diego. Now, how are you gonna be feeling as a sibling who knows that your sister was taken and tortured and raped and then murdered and her body discarded like trash? Are you gonna look at that judge going, this is so cool. Uh, Finally, we don't have a judge who's all about justice and judgment and being mean to people because they've done something wrong, but he's a judge about love. That's awesome. Is that what you're gonna be thinking? Are you gonna be thinking that is the evilest judge I've ever seen? Because in the name of love, he has treated us, he treated my sister who was murdered in the evil possible way and he's treated all of her family in an evil possible way. Isn't that the way you're gonna feel? So understand plainly, you cannot have love without justice, without judgment. Only one can exist with with the other. And so if we have a God of love, he has to judge and judge perfectly. The, The reality is, is we don't. Man jumps in there and he should just hold the line of a perfect judgment and then, oh, he creeps in with a little mercy. (laughs) He creeps in with a little way of trying to give some kind of comfort in the midst of his prison system. Uh, You know, well, but, you know, you can get out in 25 years or, you know, I won't give you the death sentence. I will do, you know, and we, we try, we don't have a perfect judgment. God's judgment is gonna be a perfect judgment with zero mercy, zero compassion. It will be correct and it will be eternal. It will be damnation. It will be painful. It will be dark. It will be with the devil and all his minions and everybody else who has lived uh, an unbelieving, wicked, we'll get the list later, life. And that is perfect justice. And so to say, oh, God's this mean God who judges people and sends them to hell forever, he has to because he's a God of love. If he wasn't loving, he, 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 he wouldn't do that. But because he's perfectly loving, therefore he judges man and his sin. And now we need to go back and you say, well, what about me? I'm a sinner, Yes, this is why Jesus died on the cross. This is why he didn't get a little pinprick and, you know, got some poison and died, you know, a sleeping beauty sleep. He was beaten, his beard ripped out, spit. His flesh was torn. He had nails driven through his hands. He was crucified on a horrible cross. I mean, he was completely brutalized. Why? Because our sins are many and are great. And he was without sin, but yet he bore our sin. And he, in perfection, took the grief, the sorrow, the pain of our sin upon himself. And the Father said, justice has been done for all sin. So when we now go to ask for forgiveness, it has been paid for in Christ. It's not a cheap grace, it's a, it's a real thing, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's a real justice that came uh, upon Jesus, accepted by the Father. And so uh, again, now that justice or judgment has come to the church as it will before the rapture, and Jesus uh, in his teachings says repeatedly, watch, be ready. You don't want to not be ready. He gives a parable, for example, in Matthew 25, where there's 10 virgins who are waiting for the wedding day, and five of them keep filling up their lamps to make sure there's plenty of oil, oil representing the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, walking in obedience, walking in the light. The other five are like, yeah, you know, whatever. And they don't have the oil, and then, wham, in a moment, 
boop, boop, doo, doo, off to the wedding. And they're like, I can't get there. I, we're going to stumble in the darkness and we got to get stopped by some oil and get, then and get going. And they finally, after having their detour of getting oil and getting ready, they finally come to the door and they said, here we are, the second five virgins. And he said, too late, the door's shut. And then it goes on to say, in essence, you're not making it in the rapture. You're left behind. And they're just saying, I'm just a short time behind. I got the oil. I knew the way. I knew. You know, there were clearly believers who had just not been watching, had not been praying, had not been ready, were not counted worthy to escape the things. And Jesus continually says that warning to us as believers in the last days. It's a time of drunkenness. It's a time of carousing or partying. It's a time where just the cares of this life will just eat you up. It's a time of deceitfulness of riches. It's a time where the worries of this world are, if you're not walking in faith with your eyes on the Lord, it's a time where um, the doctrines of demons are gonna cause some to depart from the faith and it's gonna be some people with just a heavy heart. They're not gonna keep their faith in the Lord and try to work from their own strength and their own ways to try to make life work and they're gonna walk away from the Lord. And again, um, it's a heavy word we have and we need to go back and look at chapter two and three again and again and, and to say, Lord, um, get me ready uh, for the days which we are in for the rapture uh, of the church. Now, it's interesting here because the two last churches, the church in Philadelphia, which we would say is the obedient church, what does he say to them? I know your works, he says in chapter three, verse eight. See how I have set an open, uh, before you an open door and no one can shut it. And so we're like going, okay, open door for what? Now, as we put it in context, it's an open door of the rapture of the church. I'm rapturing you, I'm taking you, and, and maybe you're feeling not worthy, and maybe the devil is saying you're not worthy, and maybe man is saying, nah, you're not any holier than the rest of us, and, but yet the Lord is the one who's judging, and he is saying, come up, you are ready. I've opened a door, nobody can shut that door. But yet we see one of the the wickedest churches, the church of Laodicea, and what did he say to them? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and what? Opens that door, I will come to him. And so again, it's by grace we are saved. It's not of our works, it's not of ourselves. So you may be right now saying, Man, I have been not walking in righteousness at all. I have not been following God in obedience at all. The Lord's not been getting the first of my days, my time, my finances, my relationships. I've been living, you know, if you went to work and asked everybody at work if I was a Christian, they would say, no way he's a Christian, or laugh at me, thinking, no, he's not a Christian, that's how far away I am. They, they, don't, they wouldn't even associate me with a Christian. I'm not walking as a Christian. Well, that would be a tragedy, but you're saying, well, I might as well just give up. No, right now, hear the door, hear the Lord knocking at the door of your heart. If you're convicted by that, if you have a fear, and that's a good thing, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is to fear God. Let that fear cause you to depart from evil right now. Open that door saying, Lord, Please, I, not another second, not another day. I want you to be on the throne of my life. I want to start living in obedience to you. Let me tell you now, that door is open when the rapture comes. Uh, the Lord doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He, 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 he does not have pleasure in judging the wicked. The, the Lord very much wishes all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All of the verses isn't to say, na na na, I'm so right, na na na, you're so wrong. It's not his attitude. That's the devil lying to you. Just come right now and just throw your life at his feet. It says in Hebrews 4, we have a that we can come boldly. Boldly. Because of his love, his mercy, his grace. We know him. Come boldly to his throne of grace. 
to receive mercy and grace. All that we need in our time of need. Isn't that wonderful? I don't care how many your sins are. I don't care how deep your sins are. I don't care how much you know and how stupid you were. I don't care how strong you were and how fruitful you were and how stupid and weak and unfruitful you've been. Wherever you're at in your pilgrimage on this earth right now, if you can realize in this moment, I'm not right with God. And I should be and I want to be. Maybe you're even saying, it's so bad that I don't even care that I'm not right with God. And that's, that scares me. You're, you're really at the last rung of the ladder, guys. Until you get to that place where your heart's seared. But maybe you're there. You're just like, I'm living in sin and I don't even care and I know I should care. Just come to God as you are. Lord, here I come as I am. Isn't that great? Mary Magdalene. Oh, she was one of Jesus' most wonderful, holy followers. Well, she had seven demons in her when Jesus met her. (laughs) Wow. So you might be somebody here tonight who's demon-possessed with seven demons. Come. And today you'll start being one of the best, closest, fruitful followers of Jesus. Come. There's a door open. The door's ready to be opened. And then it says the voice like a trumpet. Not saying it's a trumpet. It's like a trumpet. There's a sound. And if we heard the sound, we'd say... Um, I can't really tell you what that sound is, but it's sort of like a trumpet. And what did that sound that sound say? It was a speaking, and it said what? Come up here. Now, let me just stop, because people, some people get a little bit confused on this. They say, well, I, I see one second coming of Christ that looks like this, another second coming of Christ looks like that, how do you put them together? You don't. There's actually two separate, it's really not the way you want to say it, but I'm just going to say it this way and then explain it. There's two separate comings of Christ yet to come. There's actually three if you count his first coming as the Messiah as man, but yet to come. There's one coming of Christ which we would call the rapture. And you say, well, why is it a coming? Because in the rapture, we're caught up with him. Yes, but he comes down to us and we're caught up to him. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, then he who is alive and remains shall be caught up the Greek word is harpazo. The Latin word is raptuus, where we get the word rapture from. So you say, where in the Bible is the word rapture? Well, first get a Latin Bible, and then second, it's here. <laughs> okay? Uh, harpazo, raptuus. Uh, again, uh, the, we're raptured together with him. Where? In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, get, get the picture. It, it tells us earlier in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that when a person who's a believer now dies, he is clothed with something. We don't know. But he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So, we don't go into purgatory or any of this. We go to be with the Lord. What are we like? Just a spirit being hovering around? No, no. There's some kind of body. It's a temporary thing we're given. But we know from the end of Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, it says we shall all be, God's waiting, till we're all glorified together. So, In the moment of the rapture, those who have already died before us, who are now with the Lord in a temporary body, and all of us who are alive and remain right now, 
in a moment, we're all going to go to the graduation somewhere in the sky, in the clouds. The Lord's going to be there. And immediately, we all get our brand new bodies, and we're all forever together in that brand new body state forever and, and ever. That is the rapture of the church. And if you want to call it the, the, the first or the second coming of Christ, depending the first coming was when he came as a baby in human flesh, the second coming now is the rapture. But there is another coming of Christ. And we're going to get into that. But that is after the seven-year marriage supper of the Lamb. All of us believers who are raptured and those who have already been with the Lord, together we're having the great wedding ceremony. Remember Jesus in giving the communion? He gives the third cup of redemption in the Jewish Passover. And he says, drink this, this is my blood. But there is another cup in the Jewish Seder, the Passover, which was the cup of rejoicing. And he stops and he says, we're not gonna drink this until we all drink it together anew in the kingdom. So we're all gonna go and be with the Lord at this great marriage in heaven. Who's getting married? All of us to Jesus, the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're getting married to Jesus. And we're gonna finish that Passover meal with the fourth cup of praise. We're out of the Egypt, we're out of bondage, we're into the promised land, and of course, the promised land, into, into eternal heaven. But then, he's gonna say, let's all get on our horses, and we're gonna go into great detail. Jesus gets on a white mount, and we all ascend out of heaven together, and every eye shall behold him, like lightning, Jesus says. Nobody on the earth will miss it. Now, here's the key. When you look at the rapture, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, two grinding at the mill, one taken, one out. Nobody knows the day or the hour. It comes as a thief in the night. This is the rapture. We don't know. It's gonna come unexpectedly. We just need to be ready. But the second coming of Christ, we know the exact day. It's a seven-year tribulation period. There's a middle point where the Antichrist sits himself on the Holy of Holies, the rebuilt temple, and proclaims himself to be God. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, he says, count the days, 1,250 days, and you look up in the heaven, you're gonna see Jesus coming. You can know the exact day. So they're two separate events, and we come with them. Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives. It rips in two. There's a river from the Dead Sea, goes to the Mediterranean Sea, going right next by um, the Temple Mount area. And from the throne there, uh, living water will come out to feed that river. Plants will grow from that river. Everybody in the world can come and get the leaves and it'll be for the healing of the nations. There's a lot of detail. But from there, Jesus goes down into the Armageddon, the Jezreel Valley, and all the kingdoms of the world have turned against the Antichrist and are fighting against him. But as soon as they see Jesus, they say, phooey, let's all, let's all fight against the Christ, not the Antichrist. And Jesus there has a, a war, and it says the blood comes up to the bridle um, of the horse. There's a great slaughter. And at that point, all those who are left alive on the earth, who have not taken the mark of the beast now uh, are gonna be followers of Christ for a thousand year millennial reign on the earth. And the earth is gonna be, be, be repopulated by people who have s- submitted their lives to Christ. And at the end of that thousand years, we'll all rule and reign with Christ. At the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released from hell and have a chance to talk to all the people that have been populated in the world, probably billions, um, one person uh, did the math and, and he pointed out if everybody had four kids and you start with just one couple having four kids and there is no disease and they live for a thousand years because it says a, a person a hundred years old during the, this millennial reign will, will be like a child because uh, the age uh, is just so you know, relative. Uh, if you're going to be lived and be a thousand, a uh, you know, hundred would be like 10 years old, you know? So, but if you look at that, you, you could have, in a thousand years, you could have billions of people. So maybe more people than it's ever lived on the earth, ever. Right now, if you do the math, it's estimated there's more people alive right now than has 
ever been alive from this time all the way back to Adam and Eve. (laughs) There's more people alive now than ever have lived. So it's interesting when you look at the percent of people, but there's a lot of people, maybe more people than has ever existed up to that point. And Satan's going to come in and say, aren't you tired of listening to this Jesus guy and listen to his doctrine? And believe it or not, there's going to be a huge percent of the people who are going, I hate what Jesus says. I can't disagree with him. Um, it's all holiness and purity and his way and the right way and his doctrine and the way he thinks or you're dead. And yes, we hate it. And Satan says, follow me, let's battle. And people are going to side with Christ and there's going to be a final battle. We're going to be in that battle. And when that battle's over, everything melts with a fervent heat. Uh, there's heavens and the earth are, are gone and then God makes a new heavens and a new earth. And all of those who have chosen Christ again, We chose him before the rapture. There's those who chose him during the tribulation period. There's those who chose him at the end of the millennial reign. But everybody, against very heavy odds, had to choose Christ in his way. Now all of those people will be alive forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord. And so I, I point out there's just this second coming, the rapture, But then there's the second coming that we're a part of that second coming, coming with the Lord. And for us, comfort. It should be comfort that at any moment, the Lord's coming again. And when I talk about this, the Lord could come at any moment. Right now, I'll have people talk to me going, that really upsets me. That really scares me. And I'm saying, well, the opposite. It should comfort you. You're not right with the Lord. We're, we're, where's an area of your life you're not submitted to Christ? Where's an area of your life you're living in disobedience and God's convicting you about it and you're unwilling to turn it over? You know, start, you know, you know you're not honoring God with the morality of your life or with honesty at work or, or um, honoring God with, in the word or with your finances or in your marriage or what, what, what is it? Just repent and, and get online with him and then you'll find yourself thinking, the Lord could come right now. Ah, it's a comforting thing. I'm just full of joy. The fact that the Lord could come back right now, it's not like, oh, I need to do some praying to get some stuff right. It's just like, yes, Lord, come. Get the change out of my pocket. I don't know anything weigh me down. You know, I'm ready to go. And that's the way it should be. Amen. Should be ready, ready to go. And there's that voice saying, Come up here. And what does that voice say? I will show you things which must take place after this. Metatauta. I'm going to show you some things. Think of that. Jesus, we hear the trumpet. Come on up here. Boom. In a moment, twinkle eye with him. He goes, I got some stuff to show you. Man, in Jeremiah 33 3. It says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Guys, you have any idea what heaven's gonna be like? He created the earth in six days. He's been working on heaven for thousands of years. We look at the amazing little microscopic creatures or looking at the the clouds or, you know, they just had the, the Hubble. Did you guys hear about this this last week? The Hubble now has gone as far as the Hubble can go and transmit uh, information back to us. And they found uh, seven more, um, I'll say universes <laughs> or whatever. What's that? And it was just, they're beautiful. Just the picture of each of them, just amazing. And, and one of them is, the light of it is getting ready for the first time to, to reach the planet Earth. And, and each of these are, you know, monstrously bigger than, than what we know uh, of our universe right now. And um, it's just amazing to, to, to think what the Lord could show us. Just taking us on a ride on one of those asteroids would, would probably be enough uh, to blow our minds for eternity. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So eyes not seen, ears not heard, 
our, our heart, our, our ability with our brain is not capable at this time to assimilate the things that God wants to show us. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's like if you've ever had a little baby and you're trying to get them to focus on the little puppy dog. And they just, they can't quite get there, you know. They're looking at the moth and they're looking at the piece of grass on the carpet and, and you're trying to get their little brain to focus. Look at the puppy dog and the puppy's licking their face and they're, ah, and you know, you finally get him to see cute. <laughs> and the baby's like, ah, cute, ah, I want the doggy, you know. And, and it took a while. In the same way, God has things to show us relationally, you know, there's gonna be no marriage in heaven because the intimacy we're gonna have with one another is gonna go far beyond any relationship we've ever can think of on planet Earth. And of course, marriage intimacy is, is the greatest of intimacy that we can know. But yet, that intimacy we know is nothing compared to the intimacy we're gonna have with each other and God himself throughout eternity. Isn't that amazing? So basically our brains and our hearts cannot compute intimacy, even on a very low level for heaven. (laughs) So God's gonna give us a new body, a new heart, a new brain, a new ability to fill, to taste, to touch, to assimilate, Oh, guys, I don't know about you. I want to go to heaven. I mean, we really are here living on the dregs. And let me tell you, this place is amazing, isn't it? You're at the bottom of a waterfall or you're looking at a giant wave coming at you or you're looking at a flock of birds flying across the ocean as the, as the sun is setting. How amazing, isn't it? And this is a sin-fallen world. This is after the flood that destroyed everything. Okay, just try to imagine what Adam and Eve were looking at uh, before that. And, And again, guys, the Lord loves us so much and all these things are ours. And he tells us that all things are given to the Son. He is the possessor of all things. And in Romans, it tells us, and all Christ's inheritance is ours. Isn't that radical? In Romans chapter eight. And then he also says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians two, whether life or death or angels or things present, all things are Christ's. All that's Christ is the Father's and all that the Father's is yours. You are a possessor of all things. Isn't that radical? Right now, you are possessor of heaven. Get this, you're possessor of God. You're possessor of Christ. You know, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, okay, husband, your body's no longer your own. It's your wife's. Wife, your body's no longer your own. It's your husband's. So get it. You own your husband. You own your wife. Their their bodies is yours. And it's sort of a healing thing if people act normal and don't get weird. You know, it's just like, you know, Wife, respect your husband or honor your husband as you would the Lord. And then the guy says, okay, woman, now, got that right. I'm the king. You know, starts acting like an idiot. It sort of just takes away from the beauty of it, huh? Submit to me. God says, submit to me. Now, listen to me. You know, it just, it just sort of grosses you out, you know. But if you take it in context and the nature and the character of Christ, in the same way, just, it's a healing thing for the wife to be able to say to her husband, I'm yours. God says that I'm no longer my own, I'm yours. Everything I am is yours. My body is yours. And then the husband the same way says, yep, I'm no longer mine. These hands are yours, these feet are yours. My body is yours. It's a beautiful thing. And in essence, this is what God says to us about him. <laughs> he comes and says, we're, we're married to him. And he says, I'm yours. And you are mine. It's, it's just mind-boggling to try to even to begin to understand 
what we are gonna experience in the moment of the rapture. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is even entered in the, the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for us. Guys, it's worth it. I was talking to a brother in Oregon yesterday and we were talking about some of the things that we're struggling with and wrestling with and, and we just quickly turned it around. Life is a vapor. <laughs> Whatever you're suffering with, we're soon gonna be out of here, guys. Hang on. When I was in high school, uh, one of my buddies bought me a, a, a poster that I had on my wall for many years. I think I still might have that poster somewhere. But it was a comic of a guy who was, had a rope and then it had somebody making a big giant knot at the bottom of the rope. And you, you, know, you see the guy hanging on the rope like going, oh man, oh man, I can't hang on. And then his feet is getting ready to hit the knot. He's, like, he's gonna discover, oh, I'm barely hanging on the rope but I'm not gonna slide off the rope. My feet are on the knot and the, and the caption was, you know, hang on. It's not gonna always be this way. You know, so you're hanging onto the rope and you're sliding and you're sliding going, it's over, I'm done. And then all of a sudden you're getting ready to hit a knot. And of course, after you're hanging onto the knot for a while, that's not gonna seem like much help either, is it? <laughs> you're gonna be hanging onto that knot going, ah. But it's in essence saying, guys, whatever struggles you're going through, it's not always gonna be this way. That's why the Bible said, with food and clothing, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Guys, soon, 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 we're gonna be out of here. Even if you live to be 150 years old, life is a vapor of time. I get an amen on that? And then, it's not like we're gonna go to be reincarnated into a bug or a horse. It's like, yeah, my life was really rough, but now I'm a moth. Now I'm a fish. Now I'm an earthworm. Guys, we are gonna be as God. Jesus, in 1 John 3, 3, or 3, 1, it says, John says, little children, I don't know what we're gonna be like. I just know when we see him, we're gonna be just like him. Hang in there, guys. The prize is unreal. The prize is heaven. The prize is God himself. The prize is a new body like his. Perfect in righteousness, eternal. Eternally in holiness, eternally in purity, eternally in peace and love and kindness and joy and goodness. No devil, no greed, no, no anger, no bitterness. All the ugly things that get us down every day gone forever. And all we gotta do is for a little vapor of time. <laughs> let's, say, let's say you live 75 years. Let me calculate that out for you. That's 25,550 days. Can you, for 25,550 days, just fall on your face every day and to say, Jesus, this is the day you've made. I surrender to you. I'm gonna take up my cross and follow you. I'm gonna give my body as a living, holy sacrifice to you. I'm not, I'm not gonna live for my will, but for your will and your power and your grace. Well, a lot of you guys are 30 years old, 50 years old. So let, let's say you have 50 years left. Unless you're gonna live to be 135, I don't think so. But let's say you got 50 years, that's 18,250 days. Can you guys do that? So you, get, you guys 30 years old, let's say you're gonna, be, you're gonna live to be 80, you're gonna outbeat the average for 18,000-ish days. Can you do it? A couple thousand more Sundays? <laughs> it really isn't much, is it, guys? For what we get for eternity, I mean, it would be like a guy saying, come and, and dig a trench in my backyard for seven days and I'm gonna make you a billionaire. That's, that's the equivalent. You want me to go dig a trench in your backyard for seven days and I'll be a billionaire? 
You're out there on the third day going, I got four more days of this. Uh, Are are you going to be bumming even for a day? And this is what we're saying. If we give our bodies a living, holy sacrifice, we beat our body's objection, no to the devil, no to our flesh, no to the world and its system, for 18,000 more days, and we become far more than a billionaire. (laughs) We become possessors of all things. Believe me, guys, it's well, well worth it. Well, this is what he says in verse two. He goes on to say there, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne in heaven and one set on the throne. And again, immediately, I just, it stunned me again. He says this now for the second time. Remember in, in chapter one, verse 10, he had the same experience where I was in the spirit. So there's sort of like another burst of being in the spirit, <laughs> In chapter one, he was already in the spirit and he had this revelation of Jesus and and now he's all of a sudden getting this picture of heaven and there's this new poof, this new outpouring of God's spirit and he gets put into the spirit again, even deeper. Guys, do you know what it's like to be baptized in the spirit? Do you know what it's like to be filled with the spirit? I hope you do. We are a charismatic, if you would, Pentecostal church. We believe in all the gifts. I was raised in a church that didn't believe in that. And it's a long story. I won't tell you tonight. You can listen on one of my teaching tapes when I teach on it in in Acts chapter 2. But I was delightfully baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit fell upon me. And I began to speak in tongues. I never heard it. Didn't even know what it was. After I stopped speaking in tongues, I was like, what is that? They're like, that's tongues. It's like, really? I, no, I thought it was something different. I didn't even know that was it. <laughs> and a little while after that, I was praying with a, a friend of my brother's and God's spirit fell upon me again and said, prophesy. And I, I gave a prophecy. It was another experience. And, and, and I was another, I can just go through. And in Ephesians 5, it says, be filled and keep being filled with the spirit. If you will come and it's, the command is, it's to you, you be filled. You get yourself set apart. You get yourself seeking the Lord. You get yourself in a place where, where you just pour out your heart before the Lord. Like in 1 Samuel 1 with Anna pouring out her heart because she couldn't have a baby and then God gave her little Samuel. But just pouring out your heart. God will fill you with his spirit. And John on the island of Patmos, a rocky, deserted, dusty, lifeless place, He had life. God was filling him with the Spirit. And here he is again now, filled with the Spirit again uh, on the Lord's day. And behold, this is what we're gonna find, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. Guys, this is the key, the throne. Besides the throne, next to the throne, in front of the throne, and he who sat on the throne. Guys, if if you can leave here tonight understanding this, you will leave here tonight with no burdens. And as long as you remember (laughs) there is a throne at the center of the universe and there is one sitting on that throne, you're good. Because really nothing else matters, guys. There's really nothing else to matter. God is on the throne. In essence, he is in control He's not missing anything. All things are in his control, are in his power. And we need to to understand that. Paul had that revelation in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. He says, whether I was in the body, I do not know, or whether I was out of the body, I do not know. And then he gives this experience of, of, if you would, getting to see heaven. And he says, I can't describe it because all the human words would just sound like I'm cursing uh, in comparison. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes how we have these earthly bodies and one day we're gonna have these heavenly bodies and, and the, hev- the earthly's gonna be gone and the heavenly will be forever. And, and, and he says, in, in going on down in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 50, he says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor uh, does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed 
in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the last will, trump will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. That, that's the word in the, in the Greek, metamorphosized, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And when the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then, then shall we be brought to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? In victory. Guys, that's the key. If we can right now, even though we're in these earthly bodies, understand the heavenly body is coming. Even though we, we, we always see as earthly thrones and, and every time you go to a political place, it, it's a hotbed of evil and pride and corruption and greed. You know, I, I know people that have gone to Washington, D.C., they just left their vomiting from Washington, D.C. Just a, a corrupt place. And I don't think it can exist without it. People have gone to places of power uh, spiritually. Some places that were sort of the religious center for their denomination, whether it was Baptist or Calvary Chapel, it didn't matter that they left there just grossed out by pride and politics and backstabbing. And, and, and you get your eyes on the things of this earth and the thrones, the places of power, the places of where men have power, you will be permanently damaged. You got to understand, guys, in heaven there is a throne and it's all about the throne. That's what we're gonna be describing in the rest of this chapter, what's in front of it, beside it, next to it, around it, what's flying around it, what they're saying to it. It's not an empty throne, guys. It doesn't tell us that on the throne was a guy who was six foot three and you know dark hair and you know, it, it's, it, this is not point it's the character of the one who sat upon the throne it's occupied there is one there in Colossians 3 it says this in verse 1 if then you were raised with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ is what sitting at the right hand of God set your mind on the things where above not on the things of the earth. Do you get that? It's, it's not one or the other. It's both. You, let's turn it around. Not on the things of the earth, but get your mind on the things of above. Well, my mind, are, my mind is on the things above, but it's at the same time on the things of the earth. And that's what's bumming you out. You know, it's, it's like you're tied, you're tied to two boats and they're both going in a different direction. Well, I'm tied firmly. You're getting ready to get ripped in half. <laughs> you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta cut one of them loose. You gotta let go and to say, my trust isn't in the thrones of this earth. My, my hope isn't in the man from Washington, D.C. or the man of you know, Billy Graham or you know, this company or this money or this law. My, my hope is alone in the one who's sitting upon the throne in heaven. In, in verse three, he goes on in Colossians 3, 3 to say, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is right now, our life appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. See, here's the exciting thing as we go in in chapter four, we're not gonna get there tonight is we remember what he says to the churches, he who overcomes will sit with me on my throne. You remember that? See, the joy here is, guys, is our life is in Christ. He's in control. There's not a hair on your head that he doesn't know by number. There's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that he doesn't know about. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. David learned this in the psalm. I'm hedged up from behind and before you, you hold me. Before I speak, you know the words. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that's not in your knowledge, that's not in your control. You are completely um, there in every way. 
protectness. There's no coincidences whatsoever in God's kingdom. And uh, we're gonna look next time at the throne and the beauty of the throne. Ah, it's amazing. But there's some more characteristics of the throne and our relation to the throne that are absolutely essential. And uh, we're gonna end there tonight. And I'll tell you what, when I am in the dumps, Revelation 4 is what you wanna meditate on. The beauty of our Lord and where we're gonna be living very, very soon uh, for eternity. And Lord, we just come before you now and we do know that as we are just line by line, precept upon precept, working our way, we know that there is some things going on here that you are trying to cut away in our hearts. That there are some places that our minds are that are keeping us trapped, imprisoned, full of worry, full of grief, full of anxiety, getting bummed out at you. All of a sudden, we don't have the power for the word or for the church or for love or for witnessing. We're, we're, we're being minimized. We're being depleted. We're being hindered. We're not being fruitful. And it all comes back that we're not putting our faith in you. And we know right now, as Nebuchadnezzar learned when he opened his mouth in Babylon, look at all that I have done. I'm the greatest king. All things are under my control. And you made him like an animal for seven years. (laughs) And at the end of that seven years in Daniel 4, he said, I'm nothing. (laughs) Man is as nothing. He lives a little while and he dies and his dominion is not, but God's eternal is for, God's throne is forever. God's reign is without end. Man is as nothing compared to God. And then his return, his turn, his mind came back to him and his power was given back to him greater than before. And Lord, we come now, we know there's no coincidence in your kingdom that what we need to eat, drink, wear, you already know. You have us in your, the palm of your hand where the apple of your eye, you care for us. But for us, Lord, if we get our eyes upon you and not on the things of this earth, we can right now worship the one who sits upon that throne with all the holy angels, with all those who have gone to left this earth to be with you right now. We can right now just be free As you said, don't worry about anything but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You said to cast all our cares upon you. You said rejoice in you always and in everything give thanks. And we just want to have that right now, Lord, to, to let go of the worries and the cares of this world. And we know there are many, for many people, for some they're just deep concerns about their physical well-being. For some it's their financial well-being. For some, it's their kids or their relationships, their marriage or a thing at work or a thing in the home or a thing as they're getting ready to head into the holidays with their families. But Lord, we know that you have all things in your power. And we just right now want to come and say, Lord, put our eyes upon you. In Jesus' precious name. And if you're here tonight and you realize Judgment must first come in the house of the Lord and and I get it tonight. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I want to claim to be a Christian but I'm not walking in obedient as a Christian and I I need to get it right. I'm a sinner and I'm not walking in obedience and I want to convince myself that I'm not drunk, that I'm a and I'm gonna be counted along with the sober, but I'm not. I, in truth, I, I'm gonna be seen as for what I am. A disobedient, lukewarm, hypocritical Christian or whatever you wanna call it. Well, the door is being knocked on right now. All you gotta do is open the door of your heart. Right now, just cry it in your heart, God, forgive me. The cares of this life, drunkenness, greed, worry, Whatever it is that got you sidetracked, forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me right now. Get my eyes back on you, Lord, right now. Please, Lord, I I want to be tonight and tomorrow morning when I get up walking as you would have me walk, walking in a manner worthy of you, that I would be counted worthy to escape all of these things that are gonna come upon the earth. 
the snare that's going to come upon the earth and be with you in my brand new body with all the saints having a great time and then jumping on my horse coming back to earth at the end of seven years to rule and reign with you for a thousand years. Lord, I want to be counted worthy. Lord, take my life now. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen.